Hey, I'm Bob Runkle. And for as long as I can remember, I've loved pop culture. Despite the challenges I've faced in my life, pop culture has always been there for me. I love talking to people and being a platform for others to share their thoughts stories. Because if there's one thing I never get tired of, it's seeing driven, talented, and inspiring individuals follow their dreams. No matter what obstacles are in their way. And I know a thing or two about that. Welcome to the DJ Bob Show. I'm DJ Bob. Roll it. The DJ Bob Show. Pop culture, past and present. Now, here's your host, DJ Bob. Stephanie DeBrugio is here, and I'm super excited to share the conversation with you. Stephanie is a puppeteer, a theater actor, a singer, a pop culture enthusiast, and just a gem of a human. And we sat down with her for two hours, and that's kind of long for a podcast. I mean, I could do that, but let's just give you two episodes out of it. So this is part one, and without further ado, here it is. Oh yeah, by the way, my editor says hello, Nate Beagle. Oh my goodness, I didn't know Nate was your editor. Hi, Nate. Wow, that's great. You've become quite the operation. We're all connected in that weird way. My first official question for you is really random, and I just... So, you always kind of reference in passing that you were a schoolhouse rock fan as a kid. Yeah. What was your favorite shorts? <sighs> it probably changed from the time I was younger to the time I grew up because when I was younger, I didn't know who Blossom Deary or Bob DeRoe or Jack Sheldon were. You know, I remember they, they, they're all catchy, but Conjunction Junction... I remember, I think, being one of the catchiest ones. But now, I mean, I love hearing Bob DeRoe sing Three is a Magic Number or Blossom Deary singing Figure Eight um, because those are so, so deep. And who knew that multiplication tables could could be that deep? Um, But I I love, you know, and, and when I was a kid, yeah, obviously, I'm just a Bill hearing Jack Sheldon. But then hearing him... Hearing him sing some of the other stuff uh, is, it, and, oh, and now, I mean, I really, I think one of my favorites is Suffer Until Suffrage. Oh, yeah. Um, yep. I start, actually, the older I get, I start tearing up when I hear it because it just, it feels so much more visceral. I'm, I just turned 49, so I've been alive for a little less than half the time that most women, not all women, but most women first got the right to vote. And that to me seems outrageous. I mean, even in the lyric, which was written in 1970, you know, they even say it's not been too long at all since we even had the right to cast a vote in 50 years. Yeah. It hadn't been. Um, But yeah, when I, when I think about what, having the right to vote means. Um, and I think about that song. And of course, the Esra Mohawk's vocals are just stunning. Just, it's so, oh, 
just hits you. It just punches you where you want it to be. I'm yeah. so happy that they exist. Yeah. And, and granted, it doesn't tell the whole story. It doesn't no. mention that 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 was pretty much only for white women. But you know what? It, it for what it is and for the story that it tells it, it's 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 a section narrative. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and also, um, at least it was doing something where it was letting kids who might not otherwise even think about it. Because I think in 1970, to a kid born you know, like me who was born in 71, you, you, you started taking, people start taking things for granted when they've been around for a while and they don't appreciate what they have until it's endangered of being taken away from them. So 50 years after, um, before a, a, a certain group of women got the right to, to vote for the first time, I'm sure that a lot of those same women who didn't live during a time when they didn't have the right to vote took it for granted. And so I like that at least there was the reminder, certainly to my generation and that to the generations that followed. That. Yeah. And now we see it, we see it more viscerally than ever uh, that the right to vote isn't a given for everyone. It can be taken away and you have to fight for your basic right to vote. And it's, 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 it's a, it's a sad uh, thing but it also reminds us of the power of the individual vote and how precious it is and how important it is that if you do have the right to vote, don't take it for granted. Because- it was so interesting. I spoke with um, one of the creators of Schoolhouse Rock a few years ago. Oh, yeah? Who? Uh, George, George Noel. And, oh, my goodness. Wow. And that was such a, like a eye-opening conversation for me because at the time, I like, 23 or something and he's like how do you know this stuff more oh, than wow. no because he's like I grew up like soaking in all this stuff that predates me and I almost like it more than the stuff that was available to me when I grew up sure because <laughs> it was I- like there are so many the thing about Squawk Rock is that it was an experiment. Yes. As, yes, it was. As was Sesame. Mm-hmm. Um, but mm-hmm. he was like, I'm 77 years old and I'm still learning. Yeah. Like about how people react to our stuff. Like, That's amazing. And I, you know, oh, How old are you now, Bob? I'm, I just turned 26. Wow, congratulations. See, you were born at a time when Schoolhouse Rock was making a little bit of a comeback. That's when they put out... Uh, the box set of the the CDs. And I have that. Two, yeah, and they did the two new ones. They did Mr. Morton and Where the Money Goes, and I thought well, maybe there was another uh, new one. Yeah, so there was a bit of a renaissance when you were when you were a a, a, a little peanut. But I but I just choked it up and sure. loved it, and I just got that other compilation where they had a bunch of like alternative rock artists at the time cover the oh yeah 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 schoolhouse rock rocks i think and it was so it's like some of them are so like not true to the original but (laughs) right kind of just like like okay it exists yeah one of those things 
It's fun to hear reimagining. I love singing uh, Interplanet Janet. In uh, I've sung it a couple of times in one night <laughs> concerts. That's a fun song to sing. That's Lynn Aarons who went on to sing, uh, went on to write Ragtime and and uh, so many other musicals. And she, she started in advertising. She's someone. Really... She's someone's brain I would love to just pick. Oh. I'd love to meet her. I don't think I've ever met Lynn Aarons and I am in awe of her because and the first song she ever wrote for school, I think the first song she ever wrote was Noun as a Person, Place, or Thing. She sang on it. Yeah. And what a great, just what a great song. I think of it all the time. I think of Schoolhouse Rock songs. all when, when, Whenever I'm in Manhattan on Hudson Street, I think of, oh, Mrs. Jones is a lady on Hudson Street. Yeah. Yeah. I, I always think of, of that i i find it i find it funny because they 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 really should bring it back to a new audience yeah. but. Uh, what what's interesting though from what i've heard about and i don't have kids but um multiplication rock comes in so handy but they don't teach kids how to multiply that way anymore they don't have to learn their times tables and i see, don't really I understand didn't, why see, when i got in high school that's where that all started oh so, I don't understand it. And I was I was a terrible math student. Like, I wasn't great either. Like times like, tables I could get. Yeah, but like when it came to like solving for X and like all that. No, no was that like, wasn't for me. Not having it. Yeah, but, but that's okay. But multiplication rock has some of my my favorite. Uh, I love that. There's, there's so many. I don't know. They're all good. I'm sorry. That was a big tangent, but I just I love it. I could talk about Schoolhouse Rock forever. I, you know, I'll tell you something, Bob. I, I, I've told my story and my puppeteer story so many times that I really love talking about things I've never talked about before. That's so why that's I wanted wonderful. to pull that out for you. Because I love it. That's great. I, I knew that because you always kind of you always reference it. I'm like, wait. So, what is your favorite one? So, there you go. Thanks, thanks for asking. And I, I love that. So, yeah, me too. An- another re- another kind of oddball thing I kind of wanted to shed some light on because I don't know if you know this. Some episodes have resurfaced of um, Binia Binia. No kidding, really? A couple of them have, yeah. I don't know where. I don't even, I'm trying to think. I, I guess, because we only did, we did five of them. It was, a, it was technically a pilot series. Yeah. Typically when you do a pilot to sell, you just do one, but we did five. And it was probably to amortize the costs of the puppets. They, they wanted to do more, I know. But Yeah, I was hoping that they would. Um, I'm trying to think where we, we shot that at Nickelodeon studios in, in Orlando. Was it for two weeks or three? I mean, we were there a while and, um, and I enjoyed it very much with the exception of, so because we had these big walk around characters and because Binya Binya crouches and we didn't have a raised set like other puppet shows do. Not, I mean, I was laying in the sand and it wasn't um, sand sand. It was um, Fuller, was it? No, it wouldn't have been Fuller's Earth. It was something that wasn't sand that they use in production. And it was very hard to hide. You'd, you'd still see me. And I had to joke with them saying, well, look, unless you're going to pay for the liposuction right here and now, I can't get my hip out of this shot because I was laying on the ground. 
<laughs> I couldn't get any lower. Um, so, yeah, I remember that about Binya Binya, but I enjoyed playing that little possum character. Yeah. I talked to Justin on a regular basis. Really? Um, yeah, where? I haven't seen him since 1997. And I talked to, I talked to Ron and Natalie like two weeks oh, ago my goodness, to record really? something. Yeah. Yeah, they're. They were so wonderful. Yeah, and they're exactly who they are. That's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. There are very few television personalities. That doesn't happen a lot. No. I mean, yes, some are, but some some are very close to their television personalities. But Ron and Natalie, you would think that when they speak in everyday life, it was that they were on camera. Because it's not that they're putting on a show. They're, They're just... They're that genuine on camera. They're so natural. Yeah. And, and I, think, uh, I think part of that is because when they were starting um, the original show, yeah, the writers literally spent weeks with them and mm. like, watched how they talked and mm-hmm. like really kind of tried to get their rhythms and stuff. And I feel like if that didn't happen, yeah, the both shows wouldn't be as authentic as they were yeah i I mean ron and natalie uh, and especially i think of ron's smile more than anything else ron probably was one of the happy okay ron and emilio delgado are the two happiest actors (laughs) i've ever met in my life where they just radiate sunshine from from their inner core um, both on and off camera, and I've never seen either of them in a bad mood ever. Um, oh, Ron! I would love to reconnect to you guys. Yeah, you know, Craig. Uh, Craig wrote a script for Gullah Gullah Island that he still occasionally gets um, like twenty cent residuals for. That can, that can interesting because it's not airing anywhere. No, they're all foreign. They're all foreign residuals. Really? He hasn't gotten domestic no, residuals in decades, but um, I have it on DVD because they released them all. But yeah, um, yeah, but that was a fun show. I was lucky to 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 be a part of that and to you know, I, it was there were only two t- times I ever shot on the Nickelodeon stages, and um, one of them was a Sesame to. Uh, 3D movie that was shown in Singapore, I believe. And the other was Binya Binya. And that was at a time when you had that. Well, and we weren't in the, we weren't in the main Nickelodeon studios. No. Building. We were on the sound stages behind. I was going to say that because I don't, because at the end of the show, it, I don't think it ever said Binya Binya was filmed in front of or whatever, how they always No, say. we didn't, yeah, we didn't have an audience or anything like that. Like where they shot, uh, they were still, they were shooting Keenan and Kel at the time. In fact, um, I remember our rap, our little, we had a little rap party and little Keenan Thompson was at our rap party. Um, yeah, that just, I hadn't thought about that in a really long time. Um, so the shows that had a, a live studio audience, they were in the main Nickelodeon building where they shot Double Dare and where they, they had the audiences and, and um, then there were sound stages behind that building. And we were, we were behind that building for both of those projects. But now I don't think they use the sound stages at they, all anymore. They don't exist. Which is it got really replaced sad. by It got replaced by um, Blue Man Group. No kidding. And um, for a I while... Yeah. There were there were like plaques of every show that was there. 
and Benya Benya, which one of them that got a plaque. That's nice that they remembered our little five episode show. And you can still like find pictures of it. I'll I'll email you pictures. No kidding. It's so it's so interesting and just to know that people are looking for that stuff. And it's nice. And when I found it, I was like, I was gonna email you, but I didn't know if you even remembered me at that time. Like I Oh, I remember you, Bob, but I was like yeah, but oh my gosh, that's really nice. I, I, it was such a it was such a brief little project, but it was very memorable. Um, Jim Krupa built the. Uh, I, I'm trying to think. He must have maybe. I think he built all the puppets. He built but, all of them for the yeah, original but, show um, too. Possum. Uh, there was a there was a radio controlled possum, a special one that would hang from the tree. That was all RC, and I'd never done a full RC puppet before. And um, Jim, I mean, you say the word Jim Krupa and Mech in the same sentence, and you know you're in good hands. Uh-huh. He's the best Mech guy in the in the business. And uh, he he came down and trained me on on the, and it was it was really it was lovely to use. It was <laughs> what what made it extra complicated though was that. It was upside down. So what was right and left and then what was camera right and left and what was up and down was for when it was right side up. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. It was programmed. I'm trying to remember. Trying to remember how it was programmed. I I had to readjust my brain. And even when they aired it, you knew that it was going to lack. It only aired. For, it aired once, I think. Oh, it aired for a week. Mm-hmm. And that was it. Yeah, I was and, really surprised that it didn't get picked up. It 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 uh it seemed to Well, Ron work, and Natalie but... said that because I spoke with them and they just said that it they they loved doing it, but it felt like they were just trying to make something out of something that they created. Mm. And I can see that. They weren't really, I mean, they loved everyone that worked on it, but. Sure. Well, I guess what, what was so special about Gullah was that it was, yeah, I can see where the focus got taken off of Ron and Natalie a little bit with Binya Binya because Gullah Gullah was, it was a lot more um, them with live kids. Family oriented. Family oriented. Yes, exactly. And we didn't have, this was just Ron and Natalie and a bunch of puppets. So the stories became puppet-centric. Yeah, I can understand that. I, told, I asked them about it, and they just said straight up, they're like, I, we love the people on it, but they're like, that was, that was weird for us. No, you're right. It was Ron and Natalie on a puppet show, and that was not... And you know the other thing they didn't do? There was a lot less of the Gullah culture. Represented in Binya oh, Binya. Yeah. And that was one of the things that made Gullah Gullah Island so special. It was the first time I'd heard of Gullah. And, um, and their use of the language and their beauty. I mean, just uh, these, these, these phrases that were, that were, that were unique to, to Gullah. And I, I, it was so educational in a totally different way about culture without it 
hitting you over the head. This is a different culture. We're going to learn about yeah, culture, it which is just, just, just were. It's just kind of there, yeah. Yeah, it was very natural. And when you think about it, very ahead of its time. That was 95, 94. Yeah. Um, there were shows about multiculturalism, but not that natural, not that way. I mean, there were shows like The Puzzle Place that that sort of did. Uh, even the writing staff, I think. Oh, sure. Noel wrote an episode mm-hmm. for Goa. Mm-hmm. Like, and like all the writing team on that was so multicultural. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, but that, I, I do remember it was it was a very different looking show. It it almost evoked back to, well, I guess when there were more humans on Sesame Street or more, I can totally more human based kids shows. Yeah, yeah, there aren't a lot of them, but for preschool audiences, um, it's nice. And I, I say this full well knowing that. Yes, I'm a puppeteer who. Um, needs to make a living with there being puppet shows, but I think there needs to be room for, for shows that, because see, there are things that you can't, there are things you can't do with puppets. And, uh, and one of them is to, is to just be, it's, it's hard for a puppet to just be something that's not a puppet. And, and, and I'm always trying to look for a way to naturally incorporate puppets into something because a lot of puppet shows, they're puppet shows. Yeah. And in puppet shows in big capital letters, this is a puppet show. Whereas when you have a show that has maybe a walk around character, like, like Binya Binya or a puppet character um, that's driven by humans, I guess kind of like Captain Kangaroo used to be. Then I can can see that parallel, yeah. Yeah, then it then you're I don't know. Or or like, you know, the first season of Sesame Street. The 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 the, or the first five years of Sesame Street where um the puppets were more ancillary. Yeah, they were just they were just hanging out. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. People hanging out. And well and there's so many sitcoms that are about people hanging out, but you have fewer preschool and, and, and young and you know and shows for younger audiences that are hangout shows. Have you ever seen that that Jim Henkin pilot with Fred Newman? Yes, yes I have. Uh, I, I, yes, Puppet Man. I love that thing. Speaking and- of Fred Newman, I met Fred Newman in person for the first time uh, during my callback for Binya Binya. Um, crazy individual. <laughs> Yeah, I love Fred. Uh, they brought him in just to, you know, be like a an, in the callback, just a, vo- a vocal consultant. I think because so many of the people who were coming in for the walk around characters were primarily dancers who hadn't done character voice work. So um, he was just there for all of the callbacks. And that's when I got to meet him. And he's just so wonderful. I'm, I'm so lucky. Recently, we recently we did um, a reunion of um, PB and J Otter for Disney Channel. Oh wow! And he did a bunch of the music for that. And oh, that's great! Hearing him, yeah, Puppet Man is a fascinating sitcom. Yeah, I love it. But yeah. hearing him do all those mouth sounds live oh. and <laughs> yeah, he's he's a genius. There, there was a piece um, that he was in a couple of years ago on CBS Sunday Morning. 
I love that. So um, I, yeah. And it's like he, like when we were talking to him, that he's making all the noise. I'm like, okay, we have to record now and get done now. We <laughs> 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 have never to done. stop him. He's never done. But, but I think that's wonderful. what I, one of the things I love about him is that you can almost, you can see his mind is always looking to learn. And that goes back to what you said about, you know, being 77 years old and, and always learning. Um, you can tell he's always trying to find a new sound, a new way he can use his voice, a, a, he, being inspired by life, you know, just plucking things out of a conversation and being inspired by it. His, his, his inspiration flame, you know, is always, it's always lit. And I, that's, I think that's one of the things I, I love about Fred and why he has such a light to him is because he's, he could very easily say, well, I did this and I did this and I did this and now I'm done. He's never going to be done. He's No, and now and, he's and, doing college courses and yeah. all this crazy stuff. Yeah, and like all great artists, he I think he wants to keep he wants to keep learning, he wants to keep growing, but well, I still enjoy surprising myself with a new character voice or a new uh, inflection or a new imitation or something like that. And I, I think Fred is the same way. I think a lot of, of artists who can't fathom not doing this for the rest of their life until their last dying breath, that's Fred. He wants to do something he hasn't done before. Mm-hmm. That's the sense I get from him. I'm not going to speak for him. No, he's to live inside his, his incredible mind. He's always doing more and he's very yeah. interested now in like where sound come from and yeah he's doing lectures and yeah and seeing the thing on sunday morning with the the instruments that he's made yeah he like love that when we were on the call he was showing us and it was just like like he got no problem in Mm -hmm. the quarantine because he's always doing something yeah yeah it's true it's true so, and he's also just, he's such a joyful person, too. He is, and he's he such, like, a, you don't get people like him anymore, where it's, yeah, it's, it's true. So how much can I talk to you about Helpsters? Because I love that show. And I think Aw, thank you so much. I can tell you a little about it. I think I can talk a little about it without being sued. I think it's such a unique show because it's weird. In the worst, yeah. in the best way. Like it's, it is weird. It's the writing is so. I found myself watching it. I like they they said that. <laughs> that's Tim McKeon. Um, yeah, that's his sensibility. And I, you know, he. I believe he purposely hired the people that he hired, both on the writing team and 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 the puppeteers. Um, who were willing to go on that weird journey with him. And uh, the writers were so lovely to me. I would say, hey, can I, you know, we, we, we would do a read, we'd do a read through on the set before we would shoot, you know, before we would block and shoot, just like we do on Sesame. And I'd say, hey, can I say this? Or I'd add a little aside. And they're like, no, no, yeah, keep that. Um, I, I don't think anyone might, would mind me saying this, but, 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 at, at the end of it, when, when Cody said, we did it, everybody, that was scripted, but I started adding the, yeah, we did. And, uh, and I liked the, yeah, we did. No one told me I couldn't say it, so I kept saying it. And if you'll notice, 
from the first time I say it to the last episode, you know, I know the last six episodes haven't, uh, haven't uh, been aired yet, but slowly but surely the other puppet characters start adding the, yeah, we did, but they're, <laughs> they start very shyly <laughs> and then they get, and then by the end of it, they're anticipating the, yeah, we did more than I did. So when we wrapped, I made little, little pins for everyone that said, yeah, we did as sort of a little wrap. Gift. We love a good wrap gift. Oh yeah. I'm a big believer in, uh, in, in, a, in a little remembrance. I'm, I'm that geek who will give something to an opening night cast, even if it's a, even if it's a short run, I'll do something. Because it's memorable and it's something that, that tangible to, to yeah. have too. And yeah. I, not all, not all of them, but most of them, I've done something. I'm very proud of when we did Avenue Q, um, I made an Avenue Q activity book, which was like the old coloring books where it wasn't just a coloring book. There were connect the dots and puzzles and word That's games. Fun. And yeah. yeah, I worked on that for it. That took, that took quite a few weeks of, uh, of work, but I'm, I was, I was proud of that one. I with helpsters like that was it was such an interesting show because from the moment because I was watching the Apple keynote just because I'm an Apple an Apple fanboy and a a nerd you watched the keynote wow so when I saw the when I saw Big Bird come out Mm -hmm. like wait what (laughs) you hadn't known anything about it no wow so and then I heard your voice. I'm like, is that Stephanie? And it was. So I was like, but that wasn't announced yet. So I wanted to email you and say, is this you? But I didn't know you, you probably couldn't because you were under a big NDA. Well, I'll tell you that um, I, th- I, I think I can say this. That keynote was the day before we shot our first episode. So oh. we hadn't shot a frame of helpsters yet. And in fact, I flew back on the red eye. I landed at one in the morning and my call time the next morning on location was 7 a.m. Day one. Oh of my Lord. That was a toughie, <laughs> but <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. So my first performance of Cody was when I was still figuring her out. Now we had had some table reads, so she wasn't totally, totally new. And I think I knew what I wanted to do with her, but it hadn't been, it hadn't been captured in any real way. And um, so, yeah, the keynote was, uh, that was interesting for many reasons. Yeah. And the fact that so I had secret. no idea. Well, no one yeah. ever does. That's, that's Apple. I mean, that's why. That's why they're such a surprising company. They're always going to surprise you. I remember sitting in the green room hearing about the Apple credit card going, wait, they're doing what? <laughs> Apple's getting in the credit card game? And I'll tell you, I've been making my, um, my holiday donations and I have used Apple Pay many times because it is very handy. Not sponsored. <laughs> no, but it, 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 I'll, I'll, it's definitely not sponsored. I'm not getting any kickback from this. Um, but it, it, it just goes to show you how they're always trying to stay one step ahead of the game. And 
in as much as I thought at that time, I'm not going to need an Apple credit card. Why would I ever use this? Yeah. yeah. It's just become way too easy. Yeah, it's that was that easy. was me with the Apple TV. Like, do I really need another device? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Same yeah. thing with us. Yeah, I thought, I don't, yeah. Do I need, because I had my Roku, but yeah, I, I know. The things I enjoy. The things I enjoy from Apple, it does it does start seeming like... My only gripe with the Apple TV is that I wish the remote was a little bit bigger, but... Yes, it, it's 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 a slippery little thing, isn't it? Yeah, and it's like, sometimes I, like, lose, I lose it way too many times right. more than... Although I think that there's an app you can download that you can use your phone as... Oh, I have that, but... Okay, so there you go. But it's just, like, annoying. Oh, I understand. <laughs> Look, there's always something. I, I was getting ready to do a um an interview from home with cody and i had just gotten a new uh a new macbook pro because uh you know i needed to upgrade my equipment now that we were working from home my little 2016 air wasn't going to cut it anymore and uh so now i had the USB-C inputs and okay. of course i had <laughs> I'm finding myself with that's a whole other rant for another. Yes, day. I know. I was looking for the we'd gotten the the best purchase I ever made during the pandemic was an Ethernet extension cable, but of course, then it was the USB A connection, and I in front of the person who was interviewing Cody, I said Apple, and it's, I had to yeah. And then I had to say something like, well, Apple, the company that, that, uh, that produces TV shows is wonderful, but Apple, the company that keeps changing the connectors is <laughs> maddening. Um, That's beautiful. But I think that is a universal thing. And, and if anyone from Apple is listening, just I, I can appreciate that you want to make things better. Just just pick a lane and stay with it. Every other, every, pro- this is being edited on an iMac right now. So- hey, I'm talking to you. On a, I'm, uh, I, I, a MacBook Pro, I was going back and forth between using my AirPods Pro, and I, before I got the AirPods, I, I, I was resistant. I said, I'm never going to be that person who uses AirPods. And then when we were doing Helpsters Help You, the little um, the remote show uh, Craig and I shot from home this spring during the pandemic, uh, they, um, production sent a pair of, of AirPods you know, as a loner. So they would make it easier. Craig could have one in his ear. I could have one in my ear because um, Craig was behind the camera. And so we could, because the, the, the creative team was zooming in as we were shooting. And then they just became so handy when I had to return them. I'm like, well, I got to get some of these for my own. So on, on the little case, uh, the AirPods case, I could get it engraved. And on my AirPods case is engraved, I swore I'd never. Because <laughs> I swore I'd never. I would never have those little white things sticking out of my ear. literally, like, when these things come out, you're like, I'm not going to need that. And you do. I'm not going to, like, the Apple Watch. I, I don't, I, I was like, who's going to need that? And then I realized, yeah, people are going to need that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, 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 uh, they anticipate the need. And no, I, I, look, I, I go back to, um, I drooled over that first iPod that came out. Oh, I, uh, I got the second generation iPod. Was um, this when there were like two separate ones per operating system? Yes. 
Yes. And at the time, we had PCs. Mm-hmm. So I had to get a Windows iPod. Um, but at- I don't miss PCs. No, neither do I, to tell you the truth. Um, I, uh, but the first one was a five gig iPod and I knew two people who had it and I was just salivating over it. And then the second one was a 20 gig iPod. And I, I love it so much that, that when it you know, uh, eventually died, all of the iPods I've owned are in our display case at home Aww. because they're, they're beautiful, they're elegant, and I, I, I loved it. I loved it so much. I still have an iPod classic that I travel with and that I'll use until it, it gasps its last breath. Just because it holds so much music, yeah, and see, you don't have to worry about having a. And you don't need to have it on your phone. Yeah. No. Well, and you don't have to worry about draining your battery, you know, your phone battery. Um, you know, even though I have the the Mophie slash Zag battery packs and all those things, it's just it's one less thing to worry about. It's its own. It's its own thing. I love them. Um, gotten earlier, but I love that we're acting on nerdy with tech stuff, but... Oh, yeah. We still have a 2009 cheese grater Mac Pro that we used for editing up until this year. Um, all, the, all the Jim Henson legacy stuff that, that Craig and I edited were on that 2009 cheese grater. Um, we didn't want to get the trash can because you couldn't customize it or, or swap yeah. things in and out. Craig, Craig, he just put a new Blu-ray drive in there. We did finally upgrade to a to an iMac Pro, but we still have the the 2009 cheese grater working, and we're going to wind up using it in another room as like a video jukebox. I don't like. I don't see how like Apple can top themselves, but they always do. <laughs> they do. The one thing that we always wish, and we we, we try to like when Craig uh, Craig again, he just replaced the 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 Blu-ray drive and the and the DVD drive on the cheese grater because. We still have physical media. Um, mm-hmm. Me too. And yeah, exactly. And if 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 <laughs> if there's one thing that the media companies have have shown us is that unless you own, I'm still running the super drive. You know that? Oh yeah, we, we Craig. I was just going to say Craig picked up an extra super drive because he doesn't know how much longer they're going to be made. Um, yeah, because you need to. You never know when you're going to want to rip a clip for something to use in a documentary. All of the stuff that uh, Craig does for the legacy. Sometimes the DVD copies are the best available media that you can find. Um, you never know when archives uh, become corrupted or, God forbid, there are fires. Um, sometimes having that, having that physical media... Craig has uh, digitized most of our video library. He's digitized all of the Jim Henson Legacy uh, video library, which you can ask him about at a at a later date. But um, one of the thing, one of the purchases that Craig made, probably around the turn of the century, um, we got early DVD recorders, and so he has a lot of really fun stuff recorded off air documentaries and variety show clips and award shows and fun things, you know, game shows, so many game shows. Well, we all know he's a game show nut. Absolutely. But the first time we had Game Show Network, uh, you know, because a lot of those things don't come out on on DVD. And if 
if the license goes away, he knows I, I may never see this again. So we have boxes of, of homemade uh, DVDs, you know, various specials and things that we're very glad to have now because they aired once. Yeah, they aired once. Mm-hmm. And now he's digitizing those as well. And um, and while we're on that topic, did I ever tell you? Did I ever tell you my first exposure to Avenue Q? No. Your pyramid episode. <laughs> no kidding. I was home- oh, that's amazing. I, I was homesick one day, oh. and it was on. <laughs> oh my goodness! I loved, I loved doing pyramid. That that almost didn't happen. Um. So Pyramid, uh, for those of you who don't know, it was the syndicated version hosted by Donny Osmond around 2003. Well, I did it in 2003, but I think that it had a season in 2002. Yeah. It had been on the year before because Craig and I had watched it. And um, I found out they were doing a Broadway week and they originally wanted John Tartaglia to do it. And then... I want to say maybe a few days before he was supposed to do it, they said, you know what? We have too many, um, too many male players, you know, too many male Broadway people coming in. Um, we, need, we need to get some women in there. So uh, we want to have Stephanie. And little could they have known that for years before this, one of the things that Craig and I would do watching the old Dick Clark pyramid, because we desperately enjoyed the old Dick Clark pyramid, um, was sometimes just for funsies uh, when it came to the end game at the you know the winner's circle. Uh-huh. Um, Craig would mute the television. One of us would close our eyes, and we would play along with the end game. So you know who's going to give, who's going to receive. We would be playing this at home. It's my favorite game show. Period. It's a it's a good game, and I'll tell you, it's a good party game. We have the home game. In fact, they gave me. Um, one of the things they gave me when I was there was a version of the Donny Osmond Pyramid home game. We already had one. And it reminds me of the episode of The Odd Couple. I don't know whether you're an odd, original Odd Couple fan, the password episode of um, The Odd <laughs> yeah. Couple, yep. where, yeah, he says, uh, we'll give you a copy of our home game. I, I have a copy. I have, I have one in my car. Uh, that, that's what I almost said to them. Is I, I, I have a copy. I have one in my car, but I don't have a car. I have two versions of Pyramid, but I, I don't have a car. So, um, so one of the things that we did uh, the weekend before the Pyramid episode was um, the Saturday, you know, we would have two shows on a Saturday and we had a long break before our 2 p.m. and our 8 p.m. show. So Craig came in between shows and the, the dressing room at Avenue Q, the, 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 all four of the main girls, um, Natalie, Venetia, Belkin, Jen Barnhart, and, and Ann Harada and myself all shared a dressing room. And Craig came in with the home game and we all were playing Pyramid to practice. And it was so fun. If you can get your hands on a, on a home game copy of, of Pyramid, it is a fun party game. And if you can put one in your car just so you can wrap it. So you can just reference that, then take it out. You're That's pretty, right. You're pretty I, solid. You know, I wonder if any of these game companies will make Zoom versions of their games. You know, you there was a point in time where you could play Pyramid on like Facebook or something. Really? And when they took that off, I was uh, so mad. Cause see, 
I did that every single day for like a year. That would be the only reason to be on Facebook for me. And even that, eh, it's not quite enough. But let, we, we had, um, back when we had a, uh, an, uh, a Wii, um, there was a Price is Right game that was fun. But oh, yeah. again, you, you couldn't play it virtually with other people. And I think that some of these game shows, um, it, would be a, it would be fun to find a way to play some of these good, great game shows virtually. Yeah, they used to like have this website called uproar.com or something. Oh, yeah? Way back. And you could, you could play against people. You send them the link like we are now. Uh-huh. And then it it creates a game of like family feud for you or like oh, that's nice. card sharks. Or, right. Yeah. Or, I mean, I wish house party, like, cause I, I, you know, everybody discovered house party this year, but those games are more trivia based and yeah, it would be a lot of fun to play family feud. Yeah. We I have, hear that. I heard that they're bringing name that tune back, which we, I, I heard that too with the, is it Jane Krakowski? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, which is going to be a lot of fun, I think, because uh, she's fantastic. Um, when I was growing up, we had bought a Family Feud home game at a garage sale. And what was really fun about the Family Feud home game is that they had a little plastic board that you would slip a piece of paper in and you could slide the sliders just like on the, just like on the show. Yeah, see, that's awesome. Yeah, it was so fun to play. Well, when you're playing it, so when you're playing a game made in 1979 and then when you play that game in 1999 or 2005 or 2018, um, name a famous Fred is very different. You have to, it, what, what makes it an extra layer of fun is thinking about who was a famous Fred in 1979 versus, you can't think about who's a famous Fred now. Yeah, you have to think about the answers that were provided in that game in 1979. I remember. Well, I'm you're you're lucky that you the home games like when you got them were were like that elaborate because by the time I got a Family Feud game, it was during that weird time where Richard Carn was hosting it, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it was a cheap DVD game. Remember that era? Sure. Yes, I do. I do remember like, that. Yep. I think we might have had it. And it was like, it was just like a dry erase board with yeah. like, but it's like, yeah. it's like the creativity with yeah. those games. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing like a good, a well-executed game show, board game version, home game. And I think, you know, passwords easy to do in a home game. Um, pyramids easy to do in a home game. Uh, you know, Family Feud's harder because of the topical elements, but it's it, if it's done well, it can be a lot of fun. I think the old version was a lot of fun. Now I got to ask you what the worst board game adaptation is in your opinion. Game show? Oh, boy. that You know what? I would save that question for Craig because I'm sure that he knows more of the game show adaptation get board games than I do. Well, prepare him for the question. You know what? I'm going to let you spring it on him. I'm not going to tell him at all. This is a surprise. And I guarantee you, he will, he will have some really good answers for you. Well. He, um, everybody thinks I know things. I, m- much of what I've learned about from him from osmosis living with Craig Shemin. So I would be remiss to not talk about the Book of Pooh with you because that was something that of we bonded over in the sure. beginning. 
because when I emailed you, you were like so shocked that I actually wanted to talk to you about it. Of course. And just as we're recording this, next month it turns 20. So wow. it's only really? fitting that we kind of Makes go sense. go back to that. So, and so a lot of your friends were doing like the the puppet characters. Why why were you just doing cast okay. voice? Yes. So I I got cast as the voice of Kessie before they cast the puppeteers. And I think one of the reasons I so anyway, I don't know why I got cast. Mitchell let me play this part. I, I, I think I did some audition for it. I was I was very lucky to get to 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 do it. Um, so what happened the day of the actual auditions was that I um, well, what the hey, we're all friends. I caught a I caught a stomach bug, and I didn't feel confident in the ability to leave my home the day of the auditions. Um, Let's just put it at that. It would not have been wise for me to leave my home. And there were no other opportunities for me to go in. It was just this one day of going in. and It always happens to be that. Like, you have the worst possible. Yeah. Yeah. And I think there are people who don't believe me. Um, but I, I, the, I have some corroboration. They, they may not remember, but the, the night before... Uh, the auditions it was it was it was starting to happen um Tyler Bunch and Jen Barnhart and Victor Yarrett and I were doing a like a little we were toying with the idea of of forming a little acapella singing group using puppets somehow but um we weren't sure how but we were doing some vocal rehearsing at my at my house and I had to I do excuse myself a few times and um of course, again, I, I've brought this up with Barnhart. She doesn't remember it. And I don't know if Tyler would or Victor would remember it. I will um, ask but, all of them. <laughs> well, you really don't have to ask. I won't. Them. Was Stephanie running to the bathroom? <laughs> I Do you remember what you were doing 20 years ago? Because I don't always remember what I was but doing. Those are very important questions. <laughs> yeah. Well, anyway, I, I, I know that there are people who, who don't believe me that that's why I wasn't there. But trust me when I tell you. That's why I wasn't there. And so I sort of missed the opportunity to be on the puppeteer team. Um, and I got, I got lucky that I, I suspect one of the reasons why Mitchell wanted me to do Kessie is because he knew I was a puppeteer and he thought, well, oh, it'll be a lot easier to lip sync your own performance. So I think he might have been looking at me. Yeah. For that. Now, I, I can't, but see, I can't guarantee that I would have even gotten that role. I think that he might have been looking toward that. Because I always thought it was because when they were, like, pitching the show, they had the puppeteers do the character voices. And then... I wasn't involved with the pitch. And then parents got mad because... Oh, that's interesting. They wanted the, they wanted the original voices, so maybe right. that was a part of... Like, maybe that was a part of it. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I do know that um, it sounds right. <laughs> it, it, it does sound right. I, I wasn't a part of the pitch. And, you know, Kessie was such a ancillary character. She had only appeared in one episode of 
of the animated series. Oh yeah, the new adventure. Yeah, right. Yeah, um, and I remember they they sent me that to listen to, but then they also said, "But you don't have to do this." Like sometimes that's what happens that they'll send you a reference and say, "But but feel free to do whatever you want." And uh, so that's what happened. And again, I, I was surprised, but it had come right after I'd done Elmo and Grouchland. And, and Mitchell had co-written the screenplay for that. And I, even though he wasn't on set when we shot it, um, I think he had liked what I did with Grizzy. And I think that may have been why I got an audition. Um, but but I, I I do think that he was thinking and you had of, worked oh, on you had worked on Bear a little bit too. I had done a couple of background days on Bear, but I feel like those came. Well, now see now I don't even remember the timeline of of how those really. I'm trying to because I know Bear's production schedule like the back of one. So it's like I just don't remember what seasons I I worked on. Well, well, anyway. I, well, I, well, I know you're probably there all at Kaufman because for the last season they moved to. Uh, I did. I did some. I did some of the Kaufman shows. I did some of the things when they were at Chelsea Piers. So that's, I remember dub- that's, and mostly doing doubling work. Okay, I know. Yeah, but there was a lot of overlap between Bear and Book of Pooh. So that's I, true. I guess there was some. Du- I guess there was some overlap. It's it's the, the 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 years start blurring together. To be perfectly honest, well, like I said, it was twenty years ago. So yeah, it, it was quite a long time ago. But um, so yeah, so that's why I wasn't a puppeteer on it is because I I, I quite simply missed the auditions. But I loved doing the voice work. Uh, there was a voice director named uh, Ginny McSwain, who was an LA voice director, and. Um, she was just so, I mean, it was all done over the phone. We recorded at Sync Sound in Manhattan. And um, me and John Fiedler, John Fiedler and I were the only two New York voice performers. And I, I, I met John Fiedler once our, our, our paths crossed. He was finishing a session and I was coming in for a session. So I got him to sign my, the cover page of my script. And I'm so glad that I, that I did. He's such an amazing, not just a great voice actor. I said I'd, I'd just seen him. I'd just been watching Kiss Me Stupid. And he'd had a character role on there. And so many films. He'd just done so many films. So I was lucky to meet him. We need to talk about the music because there were so many good songs on that show. I'll tell you a story about one of the songs. Uh, Cassie didn't have a lot of songs. No, she but, didn't. But one song. So what would happen with, uh, with Book of Pooh, I would, I would get sent a, I would be told, I'm trying to think at this point, I guess at this point we were communicating via email. Yeah. Please. I'm trying to think whether, the, whether when, you, when you pass the point of um, these things being scheduled via phone call, or versus via email. I know, like he, uh, I know Brian always did a lot of phone patch stuff. Oh he, yes, yes, I'm talking about just booking the sessions. Oh, yeah. Brian was always a phone. In fact, it was years before I ever met Brian in person. He was in L.A. He was in L.A. He was patched into the session, but um, we would. I think they would messenger us demos of the songs and the lead sheets and the scripts. 
and uh, and then we would go and and record them. Well, there was one day I went into a session, and I didn't know that I had to sing a song, and I didn't know that there was a hard out on the studio. Hard out means you have to be done by a certain time. I had 45 minutes to learn and perform every day as a song. And it's one of my favorite songs. I'm very proud of the fact that I went from zero to 60 in, in less than 45. I like a lot of songs from the Christmas special. Those, mm. were, those were sweet. Yeah. But yeah, there were so many great composers who worked on it, and uh, and and Brian was great. He he, um, it's funny, and I, I don't I don't I'm not sure why he, he he had never met me. He didn't I, when I auditioned. I didn't sing in any of the auditions. He didn't know what I could do vocally, and we really hadn't established a uh, a vocal range for Kessie, but. When he heard me speaking in the microphone, just like I'm speaking to you now, he said, I can tell you're a singer, which was very, it was, it was a lovely surprise to know that someone who was, a, and I hadn't, it was years before I would do Avenue Q. Um, I hadn't been known as a, as a, as a, as a vocalist by any stretch of the imagination. So it was always, that was always very flattering to me that he, he could tell by my speaking voice that I, that I knew something about music. Um, it helped that I could read music. That's one of the reasons I learned I could pick up that song so quickly is because I had the lead sheet in front of me, and um, because I played really bad violin for a long time, um, it made me a. I never became a good violinist, but I became a good sight singer. So I can I can read music well enough to learn it uh, quickly. One of one of my favorite Kashi songs mm -hmm. i don't know if you remember but flying i love that song sean hartley oh i love that song and uh the fun thing about that song that's one of the few things i ever recorded in la i was in la for a different project altogether and Pooh needed me um to record and i was able to coordinate it so that I could get to the, the recording studio in LA to do flying. And, um, and I remember singing it in the rental car, practicing it because it was, it was Kessie can, Kessie much like Prairie Dawn can sing higher than Stephanie can. Um, I know that doesn't make sense, but it makes sense to me. And I, I love that song and it was such a joy to sing it too. Yeah. When when you talk about Cassie singing higher, the one that I think about the most is the Bluebird song or yeah. what, that That's one. the first time I ever knew how high she could sing. Yep. That was right there. <laughs> yep. Yeah. yeah. I don't have perfect pitch, but I have good pitch memory. So I use that song as a reference. If I think I'm singing a high note, I think, Bluebird song. That's a G. Am I singing below that or above that? That's how I know she, where I am on the stage. Book of, book of poo stage with you. In, oh, sure. In the memorable, you know what it is? It's memorable songs stay with you. I am like, we open this with the Schoolhouse Rock songs. Like that, mm -hmm. that stuff, the, the stuff that stays with you mm -hmm. starts when you're a kid because it's all you're exposed to. 
too pretty much. And um, at least with something like Book of Pooh, they weren't... Now, this may sound disrespectful to some people, but they weren't kid songs. That's not disrespectful at all. I think that's one of the nicest things you can say. You know what I'm no, saying? I know what you mean, though. They weren't they weren't nursery rhymes. Exactly. So many shows have this pandering, let's all sing a song around the campfire, you know? <laughs> and Book of Pooh and... I mean, a lot of those shows from that time and things have kind of done away with that a little bit. There are, so if you, if you look at the nature of a preschool show, there are two different kinds of songs that wind up in these shows. And one is sort of the standalone song that has nothing to do with the story at hand. It's, it's either more presentational or it's just separate. It's when, hey, everybody, let's sing a song. Then you have basically something that's more along the lines of a musical theater song, where the song exists to carry us, to move a storyline forward or to present an emotion of a character, to have a character go on an emotional journey. And that's where the Book of Pooh songs fit. They are far more in the vein of musical theater songs. A lot of those songs were written by theater people. Yes, they were. And in fact, um, right after I started doing Avenue Q, I, I, um, I rec- I, well, I had never met Sean Hartley during Book of Pooh, but I met him afterward um, as a composer. And we were doing a benefit. It was one of the first benefits I ever did in the, in, in the Broadway uh, world and and sean had told me that he had written for book of pooh he i think he'd seen it in my bio or something and i asked him what song he wrote and he said he wrote flying and i i told him how much i loved it and we sang flying together he sang the owl part and i sang the cassie part yeah yeah it was really nice to be able to sing that song live and i I sang it in the character voice because again cassie sings higher than stephanie does how can you how can you not (laughs) though Well, you you could if I were a, if I were Audra McDonald or, or or some of my soprano friends, I you know. But were, the way it, but the way the conversation started, you almost kind of had. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, you can you can fudge those things a little bit in a, in a live concert setting, and and certainly we we introduced the song properly and and said where it came from and how Sean had had written it and and I had. Yeah, I I, so I just love. Set it up. I love that stuff because. Like, with those songs, they are, some of them could be on the radio. Like, that's how good they are. (laughs) Yeah, like I said, those songs are really good. And that wraps up part one of our chat with Stephanie DeBruzzo. But there's no need to worry. We'll be back next episode with part two. But until then, I'll see you guys very, very soon. The DJ Bob Show. Pop culture, past and present.